Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. All right. Welcome back. What's going on, Paul? How you been, man? Good. Coming off the long weekend and, uh, you know, fall is here. You know, it's in the 40s in the morning. I always talk about the weather. I feel like an old man, but... Uh, that's a real conversation here, though. I think I've said that before, too, in yeah, Minnesota. No, no yeah, no doubt. Weather's yeah. a real... Yeah, it's beautiful, man. It's in the 50s. Fall officially hit. It's good football weather. I was out this weekend cleaning some windows. I've got these... <laughs> I, I wanted to be outside because it was beautiful, and uh, I wanted to do something productive. Uh, so I decided to clean some windows. We got these really tall windows on the on our main level, which is like on the second story from the backyard because it's a walkout basement. Yeah. So I had to get the ladder up against the the house and then get this really long squeegee pole and go all the way up, and, you know, and then then use the the squeegee to, uh, man, they look nice. They look nice. real nice. I'm not a big fan of doing my own kind of work around the house like that, but it was too nice not you, to be outside. You put that pole <laughs> to work, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you could say that. Good for you. Yeah. But yeah, man. Um, we're all about ready to hibernate here before too long where yeah. I live, but yeah, we put the boat to bed. That's I guess the one thing that we didn't, then we just kind of, um, chilled out a little bit, drove some electric go-karts yesterday. That was fun. They were fast. Is it an indoor thing? And in, yeah, indoor. Yeah. We got one of those around here. I haven't been in years, but that's fun. Yeah. It was really yeah. fun. Yeah. Were they fast enough where they make you wear a helmet? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's fun. Full full face. Oh yeah. So I remember being in Texas for pilot training, and they had this junky go kart track, and they were you know uh, motorized go karts, you know fueled, and uh, there was half the track wasn't even lit up, and it was nighttime, so it was almost pitch black going around half that track. And one of my buddies put me into the wall, and my go kart flipped over, <laughs> and I was like, I picked myself up off the the gravel and like brushed myself off, and and the owner drove up a new go-kart and he's like here you go getting this one so i jumped in and took off awesome. like that just <laughs> probably wouldn't happen these days in too many places anymore no but we we definitely crashed i mean it was crashing i mean it was it was nascar not formula one it was it was awesome yeah <laughs> that's fun you know if you're not rubbing you're not racing <laughs> if you ain't first you're last that's right if you're not first you're last so, uh, so we got a couple of things we're going to talk about today, don't we? Yeah. So I, I sent out an email this last week to all of my clients, I think last week, um, really showing a breakdown of all the, the paid up additions. If, if some of them had additional room in their policies for PUA for paid up additions, then I let them know, Hey, you have. You know, some people had you know six thousand dollars. Some people had seventeen hundred. Some people have five hundred. But this was all additional room inside their policies that they weren't planning on. That hey, now here's an opportunity. You have this much room left. You can fund this before the end of your policy year. So here you go. Uh, and then showed them or, or explained them how to search that on their own 
going forward every year. Um, so what, why would I do that? Why would I send that message out to my clients? What's the benefit of that? What would you say? Well, for one, um, if there is additional paid up edition space and they have the capital to put into that rider, you know, it's better to keep, better to keep that money in their, in their own policies, right? Uh, in their own banking system, quote, banking system, uh, than it is somewhere else. So, right. yeah. And, and it's going to adjust, especially in that first seven-year period, I think is another benefit. It's going to kind of adjust that that kind of rolling average for that rider. So it'll 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 adjust it up, upwards. Yeah. And, you know, if you have, and I think where a lot of people, I got a lot of email responses back like, hey, thanks, I'm going to fund this right away. What that means to me is, Hey, you've got additional capital laying somewhere else right now, right? You got money sitting in somebody else's bank because maybe your first policy wasn't um, yeah, it was wasn't big enough. Yeah, maybe it was too small, or maybe you've outgrown it, right? So you still use it, and you still maximize it, but maybe this is a reminder for some people that hey, if I if I've got extra capital laying around. That money has to reside somewhere, so maybe it's time to open a new branch of our our family bank. Yeah, it you know kind of reminds me of the discussion we had on one of the episodes, Dave, when we I think we both had clients that were they had outstanding policy loans, right? And they're like, but they had the money to pay it off somewhere else, and I was like, what? Do you, but it was like some of that money was premium dollars for next year's premium or something, and they're like, hey, and we told them, you know. Pay off that policy loan. Be, you know, this is going to make you as efficient as possible. So it's really the same thing. You know, put your money in your own banking system, whether that's via loan repayment or premium. And of course, you're only going to add to the capital base via premium, which is why this PUA strategy of finding that extra PUA that sometimes exists as they mech test the policy year to year. Um, it's fantastic. Put it in there. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I, I had a bunch of people question, like, why do I have this? Why am I able to fund more? And I guess the maybe the simplest way I can explain it is like you said, the, the the policies are mech tested. They're tested against the modified endowment contract limits every year by the company. Because, like we say, as soon as a policy, as soon as an illustration is printed, it's out of date. Right. Right. It's it's a it's a best estimate that the company can provide at that time. In the next year, maybe the things perform differently. They they most certainly will perform differently than they think, you know, on one day, um, throughout the, the rest of the year, things might change, uh, which means they're testing your policies. They're mech testing them to say, Hey, is this premium? This person is going to pay this year. Is that going to be too much for the policy and create a mech? And if so, we will limit the amount of premium they can pay. But sometimes it works out in your favor where, Hey, we actually, they, they adjusted the mech line up and now there's a gap there that you can fill with additional premium. But the thing is insurance companies, in my experience, are not going to call you up or send you an email and say, Hey, you have the opportunity to fund an extra $3,000 of paid up additions this year. Would you like to do that? They're not going to you, either your agent or you have to figure that out. Um, so I'm, you know, and every company works a little bit different. 
Um, right. I know with with some companies, you have the ability starting in year two or three to increase your PUA by 10% every year, but you have to do that before your anniversary date. So what you need to do is, you know, it's going to require some effort, but if you want to be your own banker, you got to make the effort, call the insurance company and say, how much additional paid up additions can I fund this policy year? And is there any way to increase that? if you want to increase it. So um, it's kind of, you know, taking responsibility. That's what I love about this concept is people take full personal responsibility. They're not blaming their agent or the company for, for something that went wrong. Nope. I'd, I'd like to teach you how to become your own banker, but I don't want to be your banker. Right. I want you to become your own banker. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm happy to, to dig these numbers up for you. If, if you're unable no or, or if you wait on, on hold for an hour and can't get through to, you know, to the company to help you out. Um, yeah. Send me an email and I can tell you how much more you can pay. Yeah. And I've had several clients do that based on that episode a few weeks ago and, you know, fantastic. You know, some people had significant premium they could pay. Some had a few dollars, but again, I think I said this last time, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. Just like you said, especially in the early years, because that may determine how much you can pay in later years. So the more you can fund yeah. now, the better, because later on, you want to be able to fund fund as many dollars as possible because that policy is so incredibly efficient. I was looking at one today, a 37-year-old male. We were looking at a pretty high premium. But what happened when he hit retirement age, thirty less than 30 years from now, at age 65, Every dollar of premium he paid, according to the illustration, created $5 of cash value. Could you imagine mm-hmm. getting a, a 500% return on your money during retirement and accessible tax-free? It's almost like a smart person would want to put as much money into such a system as possible. I'm telling you, that just looking at that one motivated me to, all right, <laughs> I, need a, I, I need to create another significant policy. Because once I hit retirement, I'll be able to live off dividends if I want, tax-free dividends coming in, and that's right. Uh, increased uh, a pay raise every year in retirement at that. Yep. But you wouldn't use dividends, probably. No, I'll probably let those continue purchasing more paid-up additions, just to maximize the the growth and efficiency of my policy, and and you know take loans as <clears> I <throat> I want to, and you know spend as much as I want. And uh, yeah, live live the good life. Yeah, me too. And I want to cover that. In Nelson's book, people try to some people some people read Becoming Your Own Banker, Dave, and they think that all right, that is the way he set those examples and those illustrations. You know, whether it's CD Sisters or Equipment Financing or whatever, is you know that has to be the way. And of course, right. in that book, he didn't illustrate loans, although he has a caveat in there where he's like, hey, I would use loans just so you know. I would not take dividends. I would not surrender paid up additions to do what I'm doing. I would use loans. Um, and I've said that before in the podcast, folks, but it, it, it bears clarification because people kind of take what he put in the book as kind of the gospel. And while the book is the gospel for IBC, it is not, you know, those were just particular scenarios that he wanted to demonstrate that you could do such things. And of course, again, the other caveat is that book was written in 2000 and dividend scales have come down a bit, but it just takes longer to do what he illustrated. Exactly. Like he says, yeah, 
in the addendum, um, right after the equipment financing chapter, there is an addendum where on page 63, where really he goes into, look, when, when this book was written 20 years ago, um, dividend scales were different. If it took four years to get to a certain point, then maybe it'll take seven years to get to that point now. Right. But the, the fact is you're going to get to that point, which right. is why everybody should be involved in two businesses. The most important one being the business of banking. Because it's I'm in the it's guaranteed business. to be successful. Yeah. I like that's a great analogy too, right? This is a business. You know, your infinite banking style, dividend paying all life insurance policies, each one is a business. And it's a business that's guaranteed to succeed. And you have an entire administrative apparatus behind it just making it work. All yep. you have to do is provide the capital to it every year. And it'll do it's gonna go, you know, they'll do the rest. That's true. That's all you have to do. So that's where your second business comes into play, the, the business where you make your money. That's right. Right? Use that, capitalize your banking business, and then at some point, your banking business can take over. You know, as long as you capitalize that enough, they, they can right. take over. And, and really, you know, what businesses spawn from that? I like that equipment financing chapter, starting on page 51. That's such a... You don't have to go out and finance trucking equipment. Like you and I financed a dump truck for, for a guy, for his yep. business, right? That's right. It's a very successful investment that we made um, and very successful for him as well. So it was an absolute win-win. Um, and But you could, I was talking to a guy who before he even read this book, he was like, yeah, I've got a friend who owns a business and he needs some machinery. And I was thinking, I've got money sitting around. Maybe I can just buy it for him and lease it to him. And I was like, get this book and read page 51. Like, read that chapter. It, it will resonate to you. But that's like the banking is a business. When you have access to capital, you can just, you can brainstorm different types of businesses you want to be involved in. Everybody's probably got some family member or friend who's, who owns a business and has to keep an inventory or keep some kind of equipment. What if you could be their bank? You know, you could, they could come to you for the loan. You could help their business and make money at the same time. Yeah, exactly right. And better yet, teach them, give them, give them Nelson's book to read. Yeah. So they can start financing it with their own bank uh, yep. instead of coming to you. Yep. Build that 10%. Yeah. So you said there was a, you were talking to somebody. Uh, I guess pretty successful individual. Um, yeah, he's a retired military officer, just like we will be at some point. Yep. And uh, got into real estate syndication, I think, toward the end of end of his career. And we were chatting the other day, and he's a good dude. Um, but he read the book, you know, I read Nelson's book a few years ago, I guess, and uh, just couldn't. Probably needs to read it again. Probably, you know, I, I think even Nelson, you know, he said this this takes several thorough readings right uh, and then he says if you don't get it after that please you know give me a call um but i but i think he's right i think it does take several readings i'm still picking things up when i pick the book up um so anyway opportunity cost came up and, you know he's like i think i understand the evident banking concept and how it works but i just can't get past opportunity cost and this is the this is the trap i think dave that people fall into where they're like 
I can't do this and that. I can only do this. And I want to do this because I'm good at it. And that might mm-hmm. be single family fix and flip, the burr strategy, syndication. You're a truck, you know, you own a dump truck business, whatever it is. In fact, the dump truck business, that that's kind of how it went down, um, you know, after the fact. Uh, yeah. Well, so define opportunity cost as he was saying it, because you and I have a different definition of op- opportunity cost. So he didn't, well, I know we, we, t- we talked before we hit record. He didn't bring up like the startup cost aspect to it, where there's some delayed gratification, meaning every dollar that I paid in premium in the early years is not going to have an equivalent dollar of cash value that I can access. I think his was more extreme. Like I said at the beginning, it was more, I can't do both or I'll yep. be extremely limited in doing both things that I want to do. Um, you know, my business that I'm in and the infinite banking concept. Um, and that's just a miss. It's a, it's really a misnomer because you, you can do both with the caveat that you are going to have a little bit of, you're going to sacrifice some liquidity in the early years, but there's policy design things that we could do, right, Dave, where we can really jumpstart the system using, you know, special riders and stuff like that. So it's, Trust me, if if you can think long range, like beyond mm-hmm. tomorrow or next year, you can do IBC. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Uh, and you had a good uh, a good chat with somebody recently that had a good way to kind of talk about why it is better. It addresses opportunity cost. It's not you're not sacrificing anything, especially in the long run. You will come out ahead um, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Like you said, you got to think long term. Now, <laughs> we'll speak to maybe I'll speak directly to our real estate investors who are listening. A lot of real estate investors have difficulty thinking long term. I know because I was I, I did that full time for a couple of years, but I flipped houses, right? And you know, you kind of call yourself a real estate investor when you flip houses because you're you're investing in real estate, but it's a very short term investment. Right. You're thinking, how can I maximize my profitability right now? Be in and out in ninety days cash out and then move on. That's not a long-term mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, and and so if that's your mindset, then of course you're thinking, I need access to 100% of every dollar I can possibly get my hands on right now because I don't have the patience or the long-term mindset to to make a sacrifice today knowing that long-term this is going to pay off. Right? So it's... um. Yeah, there is there is a sacrifice that comes to us. Some of that's delayed gratification. Um, but again, going back to if you can start a business that you know is going to be successful, guaranteed, how big of a business do you want to start? Just get over the hump. Get past the first few years of not having access to everything you put in, and then it's going to start coming back to you. And then it'll come back to you in spades. Yep. In fact, you won't even think about it. No, no. I seven of these policies that are designed for IBC. And I don't think about the liquidity, the sacrificing of a little bit of liquidity at all. It's not even something that ever pops into my mind. Um, it's just It just is. Yeah. I, I look down the insane. road. I mean, even when I look at an illustration, oh, what's this going to look like in 15, 20 years? Yeah. It's exciting to think about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I just put uh, a policy in on, you know, one of the kids in my family for 100% base, no PUA at all. Yep. It was just strictly base because for his situation, 
I thought that was going to be the best thing. So do I care how much access uh, to the liquidity I have right now? Not at all. I know it's coming back to me. Right. And it's going to serve him well in the future too. Yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So give us, you know, try to explain opportunity costs in a different way. When you and I talk about opportunity costs, we talk the opportunity costs of paying cash predominantly. That's right. Right. Yeah. If you, well, here's another thing. If you don't have the patience to, to put your capital somewhere where it's going to compound on itself and you can leverage it, then you'll never be able to use your dollars in two places at one time. That's right. The only way to do that is to put it somewhere. You're going to have to sacrifice a little bit early on, but it, the only way to get your do- two uses out of every dollar is to do something like this. So, and then you recapture that opportunity cost of paying cash because you never give up the ability to earn interest on that cash for the rest yeah, of your life. And, I, and maybe that's maybe that's just a mechanical blockage, you know, mental blockage because they don't understand how a policy actually works, how it can actually be set up to be very liquid. Um, or, you know, you've watched a lot of the wrong stuff on on the interwebs, on YouTube especially, where there's just a lot of garbage out there yeah. and you got bad information. Um, IBC addresses opportunity costs because again, yes, you can leverage the cash value that's available and it still grows at the same time because you're not taking money from the policy. You're taking money against the policy and using the policy's cash value, really the death benefit as collateral. And if you can, if you don't understand that, I I don't know how else to, other than, oh yeah, we did a little. All right, so check this out, right? (laughs) Pretend you're a pilot. You're an airline captain, first officer or whatever, and you're flying along and you're like, hey, Bob, I gotta gotta go to the bathroom, maybe grab a snack, you know? So you go do your thing, you grab some chips, you grab a water, whatever. More than likely, someone brings it to you, but whatever, just (laughs) stay with me. Yeah. You come back to the cockpit and... Everything is better. You're closer to your destination. The aircraft is lighter, so it performs better. There's things that you can do in the airplane that you couldn't do, you know, and I'm maybe you were gone and maybe you were in the bathroom for 20 minutes. You burned off umpteen, you know, 100 gallons of, of fuel, right? I don't know what the burn rate is on some of those bigger jets. I know in the Apache, we burn about 1,000 pounds an hour. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. She's, she's big. Um, anyway, so everything's better. You're more efficient. You're closer to your destination. And guess what? You were just using Bob or the, or he was more likely on autopilot. Things were just working as, as, as expected. And yeah. And you can basically do two things at once. You could get up, go move around, go to the restroom, come back. And yeah, you're, you're closer to your destination. And you didn't do anything. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty good. That's about as good as a, a an analogy as we can draw for opportunity costs. Because honestly, I can't think of anything else where you get to compound the use of something while using it at the same time. I was talking to yeah. um, a client and, and friend of mine and, and a pilot as well, Andy, recently. And I like the way he explained this. He's like, 
I get to use my money while it continues to compound in the background at the same time. Yeah, I love it. So just think of that. It's like your money is is compounding over there in the background, yet you get to take it and use it right now at the same time. You know, I thought of something else that came up. So all these people got into real estate investing when interest rates were, the you know, Fed was at zero, you could borrow at two to 3% and everyone was getting spoiled. You couldn't, you couldn't walk around the corner without running into somebody who's like, I'm investing in real estate. And it, it was right. good for them. It's, it's awesome. I mean, we, we do it as well and, and um, actively, passively, whatever, but, but Anyway, um, I had to yell at the kids real quick. They're being awfully loud. Uh, I where hear. was I? Yeah, people I investing in, in in real estate, you know, oh, years ago so, because of rates were so low. Right. So, in, you know, we were spoiled the last few years with interest rates, and everyone's complaining because interest rates are high. So we, we got into the conversation about, you know, I was like, hey, I can get to money at five percent without a repayment schedule. I set the you know repayment terms. And it's more like a, you know, like a line of credit, which, you know, they're all familiar with, right? And I was like, what, can you get the money at 5% from any of these banks? Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> no. And they're like, oh, really? Can I get some of that? I'll be like, sure. 12%. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And the other thing, when I especially think of like the syndication types, um, or even, even other folks, but syndication, they collect these giant uh, acquisition fees, right? That can be, depending on the property, are quite enormous. And then, you know, where does that money go? I mean, maybe you're living off of it, maybe, but it should, I mean, I'm, I'm telling, try to tell these guys, a policy, policies could be designed to accept those, those windfalls. Yeah. You got to capture that, man. Possible. If you could capture that, imagine being able to capture every acquisition fee you've acquired over your entire real estate career. You know, if you're a syndicator, if you've been doing this for 10 years and you're going to do it for another 20, 30 years of acquisition fees, how much is that? What if you were able to capture that permanently? And have that cash always working for you in the background while you're able to use it at the same time. Like that, how much wealth is that creating? And then on top of that, how much death benefit? Your biggest problem is going to be, who do I leave all this money to when I die? <laughs> right. That's going to be your biggest problem. And that could be a problem, but it's a different kind of problem that yeah. you know, you'd be happy it to have. And a lot of them support, you know, some charitable organizations, like they'll cut off a piece of the deal for some sort of charity, whether it's, you know, uh, trafficking women or, or some other, you know, Christian organization, whatever it is. Um, So these people are charitable people, and they could do so much better by, by doing it this way. And that's not a bash on them at all. It's just, and we've talked about it with several of them over the years. And, you know, whatever. Uh, It's all good. Yeah, I just got to have a little bit of patience. That's right. A little bit of patience goes a long way. Um, That's right. Nothing great, you know, was was ever created overnight. Yep. Yeah, could have taken seven nights. Yeah, yeah, seven years. Yeah, exactly. As Nelson says, seven years, seven. That number comes up a lot. But yeah, nothing, nothing great is created overnight. Immediately, just like a success, an overnight success. There is no such thing. Anybody who was ever an overnight success became that because of all the years of work they put into it before anybody ever saw it. Yeah, no question. And Nelson brings up that example in banks, you know, for in the banking example, right? To get the charter and get all the capital and, you know, probably grease the skits with some bureaucrats, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, it takes, takes, takes time, but it's worth it in the end. 
right? Um, a couple of other podcasts I listened to, they they were talking about the Rothschilds recently in a recent episode. A bank, you know, banking dynasty. You know, mm. why did these people get into banking? And of course, they funded both sides of wars and stuff like that. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. It's not. Yeah, because it's, it's probably fine. as close to playing God on Earth as you can possibly get. Correct. JP, you know, JP Morgan, you know, all these, all these families got into the banking business in finance. Yeah. Somebody financed that bank. Somebody financed that first, you know, set, you know, the, the capital that started it. Right. Um, they got into it for a reason, folks. So just bear with us, do well at the business that you're in, but also be in the banking business. I can't put it any simpler than that. Nope. Uh, I agree. And then uh, be in the bank expansion business. So just keep those policies going. And people are always surprised when I say I've got like 10 policies and I've got an 11th and underwriting right now. Yep. And talk to me this time next year. I'll probably have 12, 13 or 14. Yeah. You know, the assumption is that I can only own one life insurance policy on my own life. Um, a lot of people don't even realize you can't, that you can own policies in other people's lives. I think they understand their children, but in spouse maybe, but not maybe business partners or people that might be in debt to you or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, there's all kinds of business interests and insur or insurable interests, excuse me, uh, that you can, that are insurable. Right. If you don't think life insurance is, uh, goes beyond just the individual, try to go get a small loan from a, a business loan from the SBA, Small Business Administration. They're going to require you have life insurance equivalent to that loan for the term of the loan. And they are going to be the beneficiary. That's how important, I mean- Everybody knows that. All these institutions know how important life insurance is. Yep. Yet they don't they don't really push it on us because, you know, I think they have they have other uh avenues that where they get to control your money. Oh, no question. Yep. You know, and I didn't bring this up with him, but folks, you can go look up, you know, bank owned life insurance, corporate owned life insurance, Boley and Coley, um, banks and corporations buy life insurance products. They buy annuities. A lot of these big companies, their part, you know, parts of their pensions, the pension risk is transferred to life insurance companies with yeah. annuities. And um, something I recently learned from somebody in the investment banking industry is that most transactions out there, most big financial transactions are backed by some type of life insurance policy. Can you believe that? I'm at I totally, I, well, it makes, yeah. it makes sense. Like, what did we think about when, when we did some private loans? I always, it's one of the questions I would always ask, like, hey, do you have life insurance? Okay, great. Like, I would like to be made a beneficiary during when this debt exists. Right. Like, it's and, only fair. and I do, you know, irrevocable beneficiary. So yeah. that I have to sign off on changing it back. Anyway, a little tip yeah. for you. Yeah, I agree. So, well, all right. I think we covered a... We covered enough. I think we got some other things and in, in some notes that we'll tackle next week. But yeah, so hey, leave you with an action item. Call your insurance company. Ask how much additional paid up additions or additional life insurance rider, whatever they call it, you know, hmm. uh, how much extra you can pay this year and then max it out. Fully funded. It's going to benefit you with higher death benefit, higher cash value. And uh and more growth, more access to capital. Yeah, it's great, great tip and something that I already talked about it last couple episodes ago, but I took advantage. It's great. Yep, absolutely. All right, everybody. 
Well, we'll talk to you next week. Until then, control your capital. Or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.